I want to read something that I read this morning about Palm Sunday. And this is an article, and it was called The Problem of Palm Sunday. And it's just want to give you a little bit of an understanding. We throw these words around today in Christianity, and we forget that a lot of people don't know what these phrases mean often. Um, and so I just want to take you back and give you a little bit of an understanding of that day. When Jesus came, this is the start of, of Passion Sunday. That's really what it is. It's the start of Passion Week. It's the first day of the Holy Week when Jesus was going to be crucified. This is what he had come for. This is, this is it. And this day commemorates that Sunday before the resurrection when Jesus would rise from the grave. And it commemorates Jesus coming into Jerusalem knowing he's about to be arrested. This is his, his, his time. And so uh, here's what this article says before I preach. But it says, it was the palm branches that made this day. And, and the article says the problem of Palm Sunday. And it says this, it says it was the palm branches that made this day unique. And then again it wasn't. For centuries, the church has memorialized today the first day of the Holy Week as Palm Sunday because of the palm branches and the cloaks that the people spread out before Jesus as he entered Jerusalem. The gospel writers tell us a, a crowd gathered gushing with excitement and lined uh, the road in front of Jesus as he slowly rode into the city. As he made his way one step at a time by beast of burden on which he sat, a sort of carpet was being sewn together ahead of him. Fresh green palm branches, presumably picked by nearby trees and thick, worn clothing, likely from the backs of the crowd, formed a tapestry of endearment toward Israel's long-awaited Messiah. And according to the Pharisees, this was a problem. But actually, it wasn't the palm branches that were the problem so much as what the people were saying. Like Caleb said, Luke tells us that as Jesus entered Jerusalem, the people began rejoicing and praising God, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Some Pharisees try to get Jesus to make the crowd stop. They ask Him to rebuke the people for what they're saying. The whole blessed is the king bit, is what they're trying to stop. The Pharisees get it, you see. This isn't just any phrase. This is the kind of welcome reserved for Israel's Savior. It's a phrase found in the Hebrew Scriptures, going back to Psalm 118, a psalm that rejoices in the Lord's triumph. By verse 22 of this psalm, the rejected stone has become the cornerstone. This is a marvelous work by God's doing, which then launches the day of salvation. This day of salvation is the long anticipated deliverance that Israel thought might never come but it will it does and Psalms 118:25 captures the hope save us we pray O Lord O Lord we pray give us success and now this salvation and success is nothing generic it will come through a person the Messiah of God the one sent to rescue his people so goes the shout in the psalm blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Without doubt, this rambling crowd in Jerusalem taking its cues from Psalm 118 is declaring Jesus to be the Messiah. That's why the Pharisees tell Jesus to stop the madness. Do you hear what they're saying? They think you're the Messiah that has come to save us. Tell them to shut up. Jesus doesn't stop them though. He says instead that if these people weren't to say it, then the rocks themselves would cry out. Of course Jesus is the Messiah. He has come to Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem to save his people. And according to the crowd, this was a problem. But actually it wasn't the salvation part that was the problem so much as the way Jesus would bring salvation. The people wanted salvation and success, remember, which means they wanted the Messiah to march into the city and do the hard business with Rome. They wanted to be free from Gentile oppression, even if by force, even if by threats and plagues and split the sea, as they recounted so well their own history. They wanted another exodus, one that expelled the Romans, and instead what they got was by Friday morning was a bloodied, has been a man in Roman custody, rejected by their own leaders, standing next to an infamous criminal called Barabbas, and they wanted an incomparable king, but they would see a beaten blasphemer, or so they thought, and the sounds of the crowd this Sunday, this Palm Sunday, would later be betrayed by the sounds of their stony hearts. Blessed is he who would become crucify him for this reason there is something nauseated about today we read of the response to Jesus but because we know the story we know it's not real it's not right and as we feel the deep tragedy of their words of their blindness we shouldn't expect that we'd have any been any different the Pharisees and the people had their problems and so do we if we know our hearts apart from grace if we could listen to this crowd we'd hear our shouts along with their We'd hear our praise, hollow as it were, and then by Friday, ashamed, we'd hear our mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It is not the righteous, after all, who Jesus came, but to save sinners, sinners like us. Man, I thought that was awesome. So that gives you a little bit of an understanding about Palm Sunday and just what your Savior and why I want to scream up here and say, somebody worship him! Hosanna. They understood better than we do, and we have the new covenant. Jeez, come on, folks, smile today. Your king has come. Your deliverer has come, and he's come to save you from your sin. And maybe if you don't get excited, you really don't know you're a sinner today. And just what he saved you from. Because you were headed to hell. You were on your way. Without the grace of God, you're doomed eternally forever. But your God, your King, lowly, meek, and riding upon a colt of a donkey on the fowl of an ass, came and saved you. And it doesn't take just a minute to get me excited again about it. Because I know what I was. I know what I am still apart from the grace of God. And I just, oh, it gets me in awe to think about what Jesus did for me. It's still, I marvel by it. I marvel by it, Mark. I marvel that he would take something like this, who still over and over has disappointed him and let him down, and yet he still came riding into that Jerusalem day, knowing he's about to get put chains on his wrist, knowing he's about to get spat upon, knowing he's about to have his beard ripped out, knowing they're about to mock the king of glory, and he's going to be put down like a worm. He's going to be reduced down to nothing with the sins of humanity, yet he knew no sin he became sin for you and me and died died for the detestable sick vile things we do for the hatred we have for brothers in this own room 
for hatred. Some of us bitter towards a brother or sister in this room, and yet he came and died for you. Unforgiveness that you've held on for years and years, and yet he died for you. Drug addiction, and yet he died for you. Pornography, and yet he died for you. Knowing you did over and over and over and over and over again. And ask for forgiveness over and over and over and over again. And yet he came and he died. And that's what gets me going this Christmas, this, this Easter, this Palm Sunday, and where we're headed into this week. Go home and read the Passion. Read what your, your God did for you. Read what your God did. Read what the God who knew no sin did for you. And just how, how much he humbled himself and came to a cross and gave his life. And so we want to pick back up this week with the last seven words of Jesus. And we want to just continue on. And I think today's going to be just as, as fantastic as the last several have been. And as we look at these seven statements, Jesus is crucified around 9 a.m. He dies around 3 p.m. So he's on that cross for about a total of six hours or so the Bible tells us and and no man takes his life he lays his life down and he picks his life back up again that's what's so remarkable about this God of ours who's coming to give his life and to give his only begotten son on the cross and these statements are not just random we know we said they're coming from the father they're put in the heart by the father himself and the first three statements that we're finishing the last one today Come quick when he gets upon that cross, when they put him and nail him upon that cross after carrying that, that, that cross up Galgotha's heel and, and, and throw it down the Via Della Rosa. We see that he gets put on that cross. They put the, the nails in his hand and the nails in his feet. They raise him up there between two criminals, one on his left and one on his right. And all of a sudden, these random statements begin to come forth, seven in all. But these first three come forth really fast and instant session and there's then there's this darkness that comes on the earth for a little while and then out of that out of that darkness emerges a cry that we'll hear next week my god my god why hast thou forsaken me and we hear this cry that comes forth with the last four statements and he gives up the ghost and then he he's put into a tomb for three days and then on the third day god accepts our payment for sin as he raises this lamb of god up forever amen and it's just awesome I never tire of this story. It's amazing. It's absolutely changed my life and it can change yours. Let's pray and we'll start. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, God, for the promises of your word. We thank you, God, for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's not one person in this room, God, that has uh, any righteousness of their own. God, not one. We're all filthy. We're all equal. There's nobody that can raise their 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 uh, self-righteous spiritual nose above anybody else. We all are level at the cross of Calvary. We all stand condemned. We all stand guilty. We all stand naked. We all stand ashamed. We all stand with, with, with blood on our hands. We all stand there guilty before a God who is innocent, before the Lamb of God who's, who's hanging between heaven and earth suspended as a curse now. He, he who hangs on a tree is cursed and now he stands there not because he deserves to be cursed but because we deserve to be cursed oh God and he stands there suspended saying if I be lifted up I will draw all men unto myself and oh God we're so 
Grateful that you paid an ultimate price for us on the cross so that men with your arms outstretched, you can say, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, all ye that are weary, all ye that need rest, come to me. And, and all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. And God, we're so thankful that your arms are open to everyone, everyone, no matter what they have done. God, you said if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you for the blood. The blood, though your sins be as scarlet, Isaiah said, I will wash them whiter than snow. God, thank you for the blood. We praise you and we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so the last words of Jesus on the cross, we went through two of those, the not random statement. The first words were, Father, uh, that, that the Father put into his heart came quickly. And the first one was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He, he, Jesus was on that cross as he made this statement. And he's, and he's not just making it for those that are standing at the cross at that moment always. We said he's reaching back. He's reaching all the way back to the original sin of Adam and Eve. And he's going all the way back and saying, Father, forgive them because out of this sin came all the other sins and he's going back and making atonement and things right for the past sins the present sin the future sin and so that first cry is not random as he says father forgive these forgive humanity for what they've done and then the second statement comes and it's between two thieves on a cross who are there and they're railing back and forth to one another communicating and all of a sudden one of them says lord remember me when you come into your kingdom and he says today my son right this second you will be with me in paradise back in Eden back into a relationship with the Father in other words reconciliation I'm offering you forgiveness and I'm offering you instant reconciliation with God in this moment you can call him Abba you can call him Father and then we come to today's statement which these three statements on the cross if you'll notice they all relate to us forgiveness reconciled with God, and today establishing family. That's what he's doing. Forgiveness. These aren't random, folks. Forgiveness. He and the Father are communicating. This is what the Father has put in his heart. This is part of the covenant. This was, this was thought about before the foundation of the world. This was, this was done before the foundation of the world. And now he's here living it out. And now he is speaking with the Father. Father, forgive them. Oh, forgive them of their sins. Now what I'm doing, forgiveness can come. And God is such a forgiving and loving God. And he offers that. He, he extends that forgiveness. And then he says, immediately you're back in relationship with the Father. No longer walk locked outside of the garden and then now we're going to see today something beautiful i hope i hope this is new to some of you and it just explodes in your in your in your spirit today is the establishment of family again that's what he's doing and so look at john chapter 19 and i want you to go to verse 26 and let's hear this cry that's going forth on the cross right here john chapter 19 verse 26 and look at what jesus cries in this third statement today here we go 
We'll go back up to 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and his disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, he uses a word there that maybe you heard before. And he seems to continually call his mother this. He uses a word that he used at the first miracle at the Canaan, at Cana of Galilee. And this is not by chance again that he's using this word. He calls her woman. Woman. Remember? Woman, my time has not yet come. And yet you want me to turn, we're out of wine and you want me to, you want me to do something about it. And he called her woman. And this is the second time where he's on the cross and he looks down and he doesn't call her mother, which you would think he would call her mother at this point of a cross of a man that's dying. But there's a reason that he uses this word, this word woman, just like there was a reason that he uses that word back then. Jesus looks down at this point and it's very important what he's saying here. This is a very important term or terminology. A lot of the writers don't write this into commentaries and stuff. Usually they say, well, it's a term of endearment or it's a term of, uh, uh, of romanticism. He's taking care of his mother. He's making sure his mother is with someone and the, someone's looking after his mother. But we're going to find out in a minute that that just doesn't completely cut it right here. And I'm going to show you why in just a minute. There's something he's saying here when he uses this word woman. He says, woman, behold thy son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour on, the disciple took her into his home. Now you remember back in Ezekiel 36, and we just kind of sang about it in chapter 28 in the new covenant chapter, that the Bible says this, it says, I will take out the stony heart. This is the heart of God. God says, I'm going to take the stony heart out of you. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my laws and he says I'm going to bring you into the land and then you will be my people and I will be your God and and he's talking about a time when God reconciles back with man and he's God in their lives that he reconciles back with man. He's been waiting for this time when I can reconcile back with man and, and, and be God to them and they will be my people. And that's what we're experiencing here. That's what we're experiencing this Passion Week. That's what we're about to experience on Easter is when God somehow formulates a plan to get back man into His graces. Forgiveness, reconciliation, establishing family. This is what He's after. This is what He's doing. I'll give you a new heart. I'll sprinkle you clean. I'll wash the old things away. I'll put my spirit within you like on the day of Pentecost. I'll call, I'll write my law in your heart. I'll cause you to walk in my statutes and in my ways. I'll cause you to be different. And we're seeing this right here, this new covenant promise that is coming about. And, 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 and it's not just a God to pray to. It's not just some kind of, just nothing there. God, this is so much more. It's a glorious God, the creator of the universe 
that God wants a relationship with you. He wants to be able to you to be able to come to Him and ask Him things. He wants to walk with you in the cool of the day. He wants to be your God and you to be His people. So go back to Genesis 3 or look at it on the screen. And this is the first time the gospel is clearly outlaid in the Word of God. And I want you to look at it because it holds something very, very important here. It says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Go to the next verse. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's the promise the gospel that we see for the first time when Jesus refers to his mother as woman, he is reaching back to this promise right here. He is going all the way back here to Genesis and God is speaking to this couple who has now fallen from grace. I'm giving you a promise way back in Genesis. He's telling them a promise that there is coming a day when the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. Now I need eight women. Don't everybody run all the quick. Thank you for volunteering, Kelly. <laughs> Thank you, Brenda. The, come on. Uh, Brenda, you go over to this side. All Everybody that side except Kelly. Give me eight. Everybody to this side except Kelly. All right. So Eve comes. Eve comes. And God gives a promise that through the seed of the woman, there's coming a promise. And so next we have Sarah. Sarah, you come in front of Eve. And then we have another woman that comes. No, in front of. Make a line right here. Then we have another woman that comes, Rebecca. And then we have Tamar that comes. And she's born. And then we have Rahab that comes. Oh, sorry, Rahab. And then we have Ruth that comes. And then we have Bathsheba that comes. And then we have Mary that comes. What he's saying is, way there, there was a promise that through the seed of a woman... Through the seed of a woman, a Messiah is going to become. A Messiah is going to come and be born. And over the time, eventually, He's going to come and He's going to be born. And He's going to crush the head of the serpent. And, and, and He's on that cross right there. And Jesus is on the cross and He looks down and He sees His mother. That He doesn't say, Mother, look, here is your son. He's going to take care of you because of the other children that you have are not here the common view but he sees his mother Mary and and then he understands this the last person that God used from Eve hold your sign up Eve hold your sign up from Eve then hold your sign up Sarah then hold your sign up Rebecca then hold your sign up Rachel then hold your sign up Tamar then hold your sign up Rahab then hold your sign up Bathsheba hold your sign up Mary it is reverberating all the way back to the time of the garden I am the promise of Genesis 315 I am the seed that on the cross that has now come and is crushing the head of the serpent right now you may be seated ladies you can take your signs with you 
I'm the seed that's crushing the head of the serpent right now. The promise all the way back. It's not just Mary that the seed comes through. It's the promise that reverberates all the way back. All the way back to Genesis. All the way back to the woman. So when he looks down, that's why he's saying, Woman, woman, it's coming through you. The seed that's going to crush the head. And this is the fulfillment of it right here, right now. I'm crushing sin. So it's not like Mary's the only one. All the women had a part in bringing forth the seed. That's what he's saying there. Let me show it to, to you in the book of Galatians. Galatians 3. It says this in verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as one, and to your seed who is Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So when he sees the woman, he is referring back to the promise. He's referring back to the promise. But there's a complication because we, we, you could say, well, I, I jive with you, Brad. I got the woman and I got the seed right here. But we got another problem. John is there. And John is a disciple who is unrelated. He's unrelated to Jesus. And, and now he's going to take care of you. And so there's a problem with that because we have a fifth commandment in the Word of God. And we have, a, we have the law here that's standing before us. A, a, a fulfillment of the law. Uh, fortunately, that's how we're going to understand this. But the law says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So is Jesus breaking the law here? Because he has four brothers. Matthew 13, look at Matthew 13 with me. It's not on the screen. Verse 53 through 58. Listen to what he says here. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom of these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, uh, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And so they were offended at him. So, so, so we know for a fact that Jesus has half-brothers and he has at least two sisters. There, there the Bible says he's got at least four brothers and two sisters. And so here, why in the world is he telling someone when it says honor your father and mother, the Bible says, and we go back to honor your father and mother, what does that mean? It, it literally means you'll remember a time in Matthew 15, I won't read it, but you can go home and read it in verses 1 through 20, that, that the disciples are there. And the Pharisees come and start talking. 
about the disciples not washing their hands and breaking all kinds of tradition. And Jesus brings it back on them. And Jesus said to them, you break the commandment of God. And they said, how in the world do we break the commandment of God? And he said, you nullify the command of God because you, you say, if you go to your parents because the Bible says, honor your father and mother, and they, and, and they say, ah, oh, here's the deal. No, we don't have to honor our father and mother in this way. We give money to the temple, so we're released from having to take care of you. And Jesus says, no, that doesn't release you. That doesn't release you. He says, you've nullified the fifth commandment. So the commandment to honor them was to take care of them financially. And that's what this was all about. And that's what he's talking to them about in those verses of Scripture. They wanted a loophole. The Pharisees did. Oh, if we give money to the temple, we don't have to take care of our parents. Sorry, parents. Hey, uh, you know, we, we, we give our money. We got a tithe. And so we're, we're exempt from taking care of you. We don't have to honor you in that way. And Jesus says you nullify and break the fifth commandment. And so how can Jesus now be hanging on the cross knowing that there are four brothers and a couple of sisters there and him look down at John and say, John, behold your mother and mother, behold your son. That would be nullifying this commandment because it should be the next in line should be one of the family taking care of their own. And so, so Jesus is holding them accountable on the cross and so how can he go against the commandment of God and ask an unrelated person to take care of his, of his mother it doesn't make sense unless the fulfillment of the law it was fulfilled by the promise prior which he just did behold woman I'm crushing the head right now I'm here and it's fulfilled. And it's done. And, and so now he's free on that cross. He is free on that cross to do what he's doing right now to establish a new family. And that's what he's doing on this cross. He has established the old. From that woman is going to come a seed. Well, the seed is here. And the seed is dying. And the seed is paying the price. And the seed is crushing the head. And now that's been fulfilled. And now the promise is there. And now I can come and establish a new family. John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. And that's exactly what he's doing. And there is this special bond. You don't understand what we have here in this room. There is a special bond in this room. There is something like no other. We're closer to each other than most of us are to our own blood kin family uh, outside of these walls. It's amazing. I can go to Moldova. I can go in a strange home that I've never been in all my life. And a Immediately, something is there. There's something there when they say hallelujah. When they say praise the Lord. All of a sudden there's something there that I know and I say, I say that too. And we begin to bond. We know immediately that we're part of the family of God. We begin to hold hands and pray for one another. We break bread. We go to church together. And immediately and instantaneously, instantaneously there is family that has been established there. And it's absolutely amazing when we meet another believer how immediately we know we're one and the same. Amen? Yeah. And with this statement, we're talking about the establishment of family. Well, how do we become the family of God? Look at Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, 
born of a woman under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit of His Son into your heart crying, Abba, Father. We become the children of God. 24-7 we are the children of God. Yet we've stumbled last week. We fell in some cases. You can still save God, our Father which art in heaven. How will it be thy name? The heart of God is to establish and make family. And that's why He came and spoke these words. Father, forgive them. He reconciles us. Today you'll be with me. And then He establishes family just like it was back in the garden to live in the love of Almighty God. That's what He's doing. And that's why the first command was to do this. And if you do this, you'll live. But if you eat, you will die. And that's why the second commandment in the new covenant and in the new testament is a commandment of love because he sheds his love abroad in our heart by his spirit he fills us with love with the spirit of love and i'm telling you if you're a believer you ought to have love in your heart and not bitterness and not anger and not a sour look on your face And you ought to be loving your brother. And you ought to be hugging your brother. And you ought to be supporting your brother. And you ought to be lifting up your brother and your sister. Not talking about them. Not bickering. Not backbiting. Not sneering at them. Not jesting at them. Not holding grievances against them. He died for the family of God to be established. Oh, preach, Brad. And he doesn't want us to keep hating each other. Like the world's trying to fill our hearts with. And we're acting just like the world right inside these walls. And it's disgusting and it's sick and it's perverted and it's not of God. And if you got aught with anybody in this room, I'm warning you. I am warning you with the highest warning that I could ever give you. Get right. Get it right. Get it right. Get it right. Get it right. If you can't sit under somebody's teaching, get it right. If you can't sing with somebody that's singing, get it right. That's evil. That is evil. It's evil, folks. It's not of your father, God. It's of the devil. If you can't sit beside somebody in this room, it's evil. If you're angry at somebody in this room, get it right. Pray. Get it right. If you talk about people in this room to your family, get it right. You're ruining them. You're going to ruin them from the house of God. You're going to ruin them from being believers. Get it right. No, you're going to poison the world. You're going to poison the well. Get it right. That's what the world's doing. That's what Satan's doing in this hour. He's doing a great job. Doing a great, you got you got something to get offense against a pastor. You better get it right. You got you got church hurt. You better get it right. No, it wasn't. It shouldn't have happened to you. But it, but but get it right. Jesus died so that we could be forgiven. Jesus died so you could be healed. Jesus died so you could come into family. Jesus died so we could be reconciled to God and with each other. Stay on your face until you can get it right. 
Stay on your face till the grievance can be gone. Stay on your face until God does something in your heart and sheds love in your heart for that person. Amen. So much so until you love your enemy. Until Republican, you love the Democrat. Until Democrat, you love the Republican. Until black, loves the white. Until Mexican, loves the black. I mean, you better get the love of God in your heart in this last day. Until contemporary loves the southern gospel. Preach, brother. Until chair people love the pew people. Preach on. Until assembly of God loves the Baptist. Preach. Preach. I'm sick of it. And I know a God who's more sick of it. Who shed his blood on the cross. Until denominational loves non-denominational. So women love men again. Men love women. And so God is reestablishing everything that was lost till vaccine person loves unvaccine person. And unvaccine loves vaccine person. And mask person loves non-mask person. Throw that in there too. And God is reestablishing everything that was lost. Adam lost it, but Christ regained it. And this new family should have the demonstration of love in their hearts. Love. Love should be what we're known by. Love should be what we're seen by. Love should be what fills our hearts and fills our life. This is the establishment of what was lost. And now we are able to naturally love, folks. And if we don't have that love, we don't have it naturally. I don't have what I just told you to do naturally. I have to cry out to God and say, God, fill me with love. Fill me with mercy. Fill me with forgiveness. Don't take the hate out. Take the bitterness out. But they hurt me, God. I know that. They hurt you, Brad, but my grace is sufficient. Amen. And where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Amen. So we meet strangers and we discover they are brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's automatically relationship with God. There's this connection. There's this family of God. Let me close in Galatians 4. Listen to what he says in Galatians 4, 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. The one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who was the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. And he who was the free woman through the promise. Hadn't we been talking? about the promise coming through the seed remember back in Genesis which things are symbolic for these are the two covenants there's really only two major covenants old new one the one from Mount Sinai which gives birth to the bondage which is Hagar for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem which now is and is in bondage with her children but the Jerusalem above is free which is the promise 
So Christ is the promise that came through the line of the woman all the way down to crush the head of the serpent on your behalf. But this is the Jerusalem which is above is free, which is the mother of us all, came from our mother. She's our mother. The promise is the mother. It's the mother. Listen to what he says. For it is written, rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who is a husband. Now we brethren as Isaac was our children of the promise by faith folks it's by grace through faith you are children of the promise he says listen to what he says you're not of the bond woman you're of the free woman he goes on to say who was born uh, the, but, uh, but as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit even so it is now nevertheless what does the scripture say cast out the bond woman and her son for the son of the bond woman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are children of the bond woman, but not of the bond woman, but of the free. We're children of the promise. Children that God saw from the beginning. In Genesis 3, 15, we are the children that God saw. And listen to Romans 5, 17. For by, if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. It doesn't mean we're not going to have problems in this life, but what it means is that we reign in those circumstances. We reign victorious. We have life. We have life. We have resurrection life. And that's why these first statements are so amazing. He's saying it's a picture of forgiveness. It's a picture of reconciliation. And it's the establishment of family. Listen to 18. Therefore, as through the one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even through, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in the justification of life. For as by the one man's disobedience, that's Adam, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, Christ, many are made righteous. That's what he says. He's given us life, brought us into family, and the woman is the promise. Woman, behold your son. Behold your son. Behold your son. He's on the cross there and he's establishing this new family in Christ. You are my brother. You are my sister. And we can love each other with the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts. Father, we love you, God, today. We thank you for, God, these three statements, God, that are so, so vital that you were establishing on those first few hours on that cross that you came and you you were you were you were taking the sins of the world and dealing with them through covenant with the father and here these words are birthed and put into your heart father forgive them all the way back to adam's sin forgive them they don't know what they do all sins are to be forgiven father that sprung out of all all that that acorn of sin it just let deal with 
with it, Father. I'm dealing with it. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And oh, today you'll be with me in paradise. You thief. You, you sinner. Today, if you'll ask, you can be with me in right relationship with God. Father, let them be one. Let them be in me and me in you. Just like the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. Let us be one and let them be one with us. Reconciliation. No longer outside of the garden. No longer no longer alienated and strangers with God, but now brought into relationship. The middle wall of partition is down and now we have access to God. The veil has been rent in twain and we have access to a righteous God. We're clean by the blood of the Lamb and now He's establishing us into family. Woman, woman, the promise, behold your son. Oh God, we could be in family now. We could be saved. We could be born again. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm not part of the bond woman. I'm part of the Jerusalem from above. The free woman. I'm part of the free woman. God, oh, thank you for salvation. Thank you for family. Thank you for putting me and placing me into the family of God. Thank you that we are known by love, God. And there's many times, God, that I get offended or I get wounded by somebody in this house. David even said, uh, it wouldn't have hurt so bad, yet it came from inside this house. But oh God, your grace is here. Your mercy is here. And they're new every morning and great is your faithfulness. And just like we can run to you, oh God. Just like we can run to you when we fail. Just like we can run and have an advocate. And, and, and like, like you told Peter, how many times should you forgive someone? Seven times 70. God, Lord, we need your grace in this house so that, Lord, the world can know we are disciples. Because you said that we will know, that, 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 that the world will know that we are your disciples by the love we have for each other. Oh, God, shed your love. We've been trying to love with our own uh, human love. God, shed your love abroad in the church. Shed your love abroad in our hearts now, God. Help us to prefer our brothers and sisters over ourselves. Help us to esteem one another as better than ourselves. Help us to love each other, God. Help us to, help us to, to care for one another. These, Jesus said to his own family outside, these are my mother and my brother and my sister, those who do the will of God. Oh God, we love each other. We are the family of God. We are the family of God. We're your children. We're your children and you are establishing family just like it was in the garden before the fall. We're back there now, God. We're back there. We're a peculiar people. We're a called out people. We're the ecclesia. We are the church. And you purchased us and you bought us with your own blood. So God, just enrich the love that we have for each other in this room, God. And, and help us to, to just, just fill us with that love, God. If there's a grievance with anyone, Lord, help us to deal with those things. Call, push on our heart until we can't escape it, God. Cause us to deal with it and cause us to make things right with you, God, and with each other. You don't let us, you don't let, God, when we break fellowship with you, God, it, there's something sick in the, in the gut of our, of our being. We know something's not right, and, and God, the Spirit grieves. The, we, we, we feel it. We, we know we have to come and ask for forgiveness, and Lord, let the same be said of us with each other. God, put something inside of us that just stays so sick until we reconcile with other members of the body. God, we want unity like we've never seen seen in the last days so that we can make a difference in this world. God, we love you. We give you the praise and the honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.